right, Spring Lake Park, here we are, week three of the road trip. Yeah. Now, this is where you go, right? Yes, this is my campus. Yes. All right, so I understand like 60% of the people who go here volunteer. That's true. That's crazy. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And so here we are on a Sunday morning. We're going undercover to meet some of those volunteers. We should split up. Okay. Okay, you go that way, I'll go this way. Sounds good. All right, see ya. Hey, I'm here with Dave and Rachel. They're on staff here. What are you guys doing here today? Well, we're recruiting volunteers right now. Nice. So, yeah. What's the best thing about volunteering at Spring Lake Park? The best thing is that you get to make friends at church and know people when you come in the door. Hey, I'm here with Paula. We're in the kids ministry at SLP. Paula, there are so many volunteers. Why do you do it? I love hanging out with the kids. We get to sing with them. We get to know them. They learn about Jesus, and it's awesome. What are you doing here? What's your role here? Uh, so we're checking in kiddos here for Elevate today. Do you think I could join in? I think you should. Thank you. What do you like about the volunteers here? That they care for us and help us learn about God. We won't be dying. No, 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 no. Okay, so we're in the Cadodio infant room. What's it like in here on a weekend? It gets uh, it gets pretty busy. We get a lot of little ones. You hear crying from time to time, like you might be hearing now. And we just jump from one child to the next, try to keep them all happy. This, this actually looks like fun to me. <laughs> it is fun. What's your favorite thing about, about Kidodio? Yeah, it's like, it's like, no, no. Camera shot. No, 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 don't even. All right, well, I'm here at Cafe 5000 with Mary Kay and Dale. Uh, guys, what do you do here? Well, we make wonderful coffee drinks. Um, I personally work the espresso machine, and my husband is a fabulous frother. What's a frother? You have to froth the milk so it's foamy and creamy at the right temperature. Yep. This is frothing. Right We're frothing. <laughs> so you're weekend connectors. What is a weekend connector? Our primary job is we stand in the lobby and we look for people who have never been to Eagle Brook before. We greet them, we give them free coffee, we give them information about the church, and then we try to check in with them when they leave to make sure they had a great experience. Thank you so much. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to Welcome. see you. Good to see morning. you. It's, take my program. Uh -huh. Take my program. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, here we are in Volunteer Central and Kitty is taking care of us. Kitty. What is Volunteer Central? Well, it's a place for our volunteers to come when they're finished serving to relax, have something to eat, and get to know each other. Can you show me what you have? We have a egg bake in a crock pot. We always have meat and cheese and fruit, and we have wonderful providers that bring us wonderful food. So I was wondering, what's the best campus of Eagle Brook Church? And do people enjoy volunteering? Yeah! Spring Lake yes. Park. What Amazing. a great crew. What a great time. So next time we're going to be at Blaine. Ooh. And in the meantime, we're going to join up with teaching pastor Jason Strand as he continues week four in the Unstoppable series. All right, well, welcome, everybody. I was out at Spring Lake Park last weekend filling in as campus pastor. It was great to meet many of you. And 60% of that campus volunteers at that campus. I think that's something for all of our campuses to aspire to. And so if you're here today and you're not currently volunteering or serving, but you would like to, you can stop off at the information desk at your campus when you leave. Uh, the last couple weeks, Bob has began by sharing about the weather. It's been cold, people are depressed, it's dark and dreary out. And he's had kind of an encouraging word for all of us. And I have some encouraging news for you today as well. Kevin Garnett is playing for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Huh? 
If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know, really know what will. Uh, as you saw from that video, we are in the middle of a series called Unstoppable, based upon the book of Acts. And the book of Acts, if you're not familiar with it, is the story of the early church. It's the story of what happened after Jesus ascended to heaven, and it's really quite amazing. Today, over 2 billion people believe that a carpenter from a small town called Nazareth in the first century was the son of God and savior of this world. I mean, how does that happen? Well, it began with 12 men and later over 500 people who saw Jesus resurrect from the dead and then appear in a physical body. They began to tell other people what they had seen and people believed. In fact, one day, 3,000 people believed based upon a sermon that Peter preached and the early church was off and running. There was an unstoppable momentum in the church, but then something happened that threatened the whole movement. And what happened is what always happens when God is moving in an authentic kind of way, people tried to fake it. They tried to look like someone that they weren't. Right before Christmas, my wife Sarah went to run some errands, and when she left the house, she was wearing a gray fleece from Costco, tan boots, and her hair was in a ponytail. About an hour later, our doorbell rang. Wasn't expecting anyone, but I thought, oh, I'll go check it out. We, we've got a little window next to our door, and so usually you can kind of see who's out there. And so I crept down the stairs, and I peeked around the banister. I was cautious like that because I was in my boxer shorts and a T-shirt. been trying to get our youngest son to take a nap with me. And when I looked out the window, I saw Sarah. I thought, well, that's weird. She wasn't supposed to be back for another hour or so. And why was she at the front door? Why didn't she just come in through the garage? But then I could see her holding something, and so I thought, well, maybe her hands are full and she just needs me to open the door. So I went down, I opened up the door, I was just about to say, why didn't you come through the garage, when I realized this was not Sarah at my door. <laughs> it was her friend Summer. Summer had brought over some Swedish coffee bread for Christmas. Summer was wearing the exact same gray fleece from Costco, identical brand and everything, tan boots, and her hair was in a ponytail. That's not fair. <laughs> I stood there in my underpants in complete shock. Finally, I mumbled, I need to go get some pants on, and nervously shut the door in her face. Now, thankfully, I had on some high-quality boxer shorts, not some ripped-up whitey-tighties, but still, ain't nobody want to see that. Now, here's my point. Summer looked like Sarah. She was dressed like Sarah. She had on the same fleece, tan boots, and ponytail that Sarah had on, but she wasn't Sarah. In the same way, there are people who look like Christians. They talk like Christians. They even behave at times like Christians, but they aren't authentic followers of Christ. They figured out a way to fake it. I was talking to a guy one time, and he just straight out told me, I'm a chameleon. When I'm at church or with my Christian friends, I can quote a couple of Bible verses. I can say some religious things and try not to swear. But on a Friday night, when I'm out with my non-Christian friends, you'd never know. I talked to a teenager one time who told me, my dad is a Christian on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. This kid was learning at a very early age that it's possible to look like a Christian to talk like a Christian, to even behave like one for a couple days of the week and not actually be an authentic follower of Christ. 
Now, all of us fake it and pretend at different times in our life. In fact, let me ask you a few questions. Go ahead and raise your hand if these apply to you. How many of you have been at home watching TV when all of a sudden you hear the garage door go up? And it's your roommate or your spouse or your parents. And the minute you hear that garage door going up, you shut off the TV and pretend like you're doing something productive. Like you're sweeping the floor when they come in. Oh, hey, how you doing? Hey. Anybody ever done that? Go ahead and raise your hands if you have. Quite a few of you, actually. Wow, way to go. This one's for those of you who are married with kids. How many of you have heard the baby crying at night and you pretended to be asleep? You wanted your spouse to go get the baby, so you just pretended that you didn't hear it. Anybody ever done that? That's pretty common. I would expect most of us have done that. I I've done that one as well. Here's a final one. How many of you have been driving in the car when the person in the lane next to you kind of looks over at you indicating, I want to merge in front of you? Or they've got their blinker on, but you have no intention of letting them merge in front of you. And so you don't want to be a total jerk about it, so you pretend like you don't see them. Just looking the other way, fiddling with the radio as you go by. Instead of looking like a jerk, you look like an unobservant nice guy. Anybody ever done that? I've stooped pretty low in my day, but I've never done that one. <laughs> we all fake it at one point or another. It even happens in church, unfortunately, but why? Why do we pretend to be someone that we're not? I think we all know the answer, actually. We care a lot about what other people think. We're fearful of their opinion. In fact, let me ask you, is there an area of your life right now where you care a lot about what other people think? Could be your looks, could be your parenting, could be your job, but you just have this unhealthy fear of other people's opinions. You may want to jot this statement down. Trying to be someone you are not can have serious consequences. We're going to see this get played out today in Acts chapter 5. Before we jump into Acts 5, let me set a little bit of the context. As I mentioned, the church is exploding in growth. And part of the reason for that is what Bob talked about last week. It was people's boldness. They were bold in telling others about Christ. But the other reason was they were generous. They shared with people who were in need. In fact, look at what it says in Acts 4. It says, there was no poverty among them. Because people who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money to the apostles to give to others in need. There was one man in particular named Barnabas, and apparently he had this plot of land that he sold and gave the money to the apostles to give to those in need. And news of this spread. So people were showing up at church the next week, and they're like, did you hear what Barnabas did? That guy is so generous. He is so godly. And that's where we'll pick things up in Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Before I read this to you, let me just warn you. This is one of the most difficult passages in the entire New Testament for sure. I looked to see if other pastors had spoken on this topic. Very few had. Most just kind of skipped over it. You're going to see why in just a moment. Verse 1. There was a man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles... But he claimed it was the full amount. His wife agreed to this deception. So Ananias and Sapphira, they sell some land, just like Barnabas did. And they give the money to the apostles, just like Barnabas did. Problem is, they told them it was the full amount. It wasn't. They had kept some of the proceeds for themselves. 
Now, why would Ananias and Sapphira do something like this? Well, they wanted people to praise them. They wanted people to praise them just like they had praised Barnabas. They wanted people to show up at church the next week and go, did you hear what Ananias did? That guy is so generous. He is so godly. And they thought that if people knew they had kept some of the money for themselves, they weren't going to do that. Verse 3 says this, Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was yours to give away. So somehow, Peter knows that Ananias is lying and he calls him out on this. But notice what Peter says. He says, Ananias, it was your land. You didn't have to sell it. It was your money after you sold it. You didn't have to give any of it away if you didn't want to. In other words, the issue wasn't that he kept some of the money. The issue was he lied about it. Next verse says this. Peter says, how could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Then some young men wrapped him in a sheet and took him out and buried him. Now, lest you think that God is going to strike you dead for lying, because some of us have lied this week, and it's like, when is church getting over? Let's get out of here, right? Lest you think that God is going to strike you dead for lying, keep this in mind. This was at a unique point in the history of the church. The church was just getting started, and so God was committed to rooting out any form of duplicity that would derail its momentum. This passage describes what God did. It doesn't tell us what God always does. It's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. In fact, look what the Bible says in Lamentations chapter 3. It says, For he, God, does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. God doesn't want to hurt people, doesn't want to cause them pain or sorrow. But just like a good father or mother, a parent, needs to discipline their kids at times in a way that will cause them pain or sorrow in the moment, so too does God. It's the character of God. He's full of love, but he is also full of justice. Sometimes I'll hear people say, well, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, they're so different. The God of the Old Testament is angry all the time. And he's wiping out whole cities like Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. But the God of the New Testament, man, he, he's really lightened up. He's a lot more merciful and grace-giving. This story in Acts debunks that kind of thinking. There is no God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. There's one God, and he has never changed. All throughout the Old Testament, God forgives his people. He shows them mercy and grace over and over again. And then in the New Testament, we find this story. It reminds us, yes, God is love. Yes, God is full of grace and full of mercy, but God is also full of justice. He's not to be trifled with. We are to approach him with a holy fear and reverence. About three hours later, Ananias' wife, Sapphira, comes in, and she has no idea what's happened to her husband. And so Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? He's kind of testing her a little bit here. Yes, she replied. That was the price. Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring together to test the spirit of the Lord? Next verse. 
Just outside that door are the young men who buried your husband, and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her next to her husband. I love this next verse. Great fear gripped the entire church when they heard what happened. You think? I would be gripped with fear myself. If you go on any top 10 list of what followers want from a leader, you will find honesty at the top every single time. What do singles want from a future spouse? Honesty, integrity, character. What do citizens want from their elected officials? Honesty, integrity, character. What does a congregation want from their pastors? Honesty, integrity, character. If you aspire to lead, get married, stay married, go into ministry or politics, have a successful career of any sort or raise kids who respect you, you need to become committed to telling the truth every single time. You need to become committed to honesty, integrity, and character. More people lose their jobs, lose their marriages, or lose the respect of people around them from lying than anything else. Just ask Brian Williams. Just ask Lance Armstrong. Pretending to be someone that you're not can have serious consequences. In fact, people who lie, they have no peace. They're always looking over their shoulder, worried about getting caught. They're always worried about other people's opinions of them. Even when someone gives them a compliment, they think, oh, if you only knew the real me. Friends, don't live that way. Pretending to be someone that you're not can have serious consequences. In fact, let me give you three takeaways from this Ananias and Sapphira story that apply to our lives. The first one is this. Every lie that you tell is more vertical than it is horizontal. When I was in high school, I played tennis. If I lost 6-1, 6-2, but later someone would ask me, hey, what was the score of your match? I would say, oh, it was close, 6-4, 7-5. Humorous to think that by adding a few games to each set, it was going to change their opinion of me. Sometimes my friends in high school would want me to go do something, go to a party or something, and I would just be tired and want to stay home and watch a movie. But I didn't feel comfortable telling them that, and so I would make something up. My favorite excuse was, it's my mom's birthday. Sorry, can't go, it's my mom's birthday. But then I told them it was my mom's birthday, and apparently I had used that excuse six months earlier. Because one of my friends turned to me and said, man, must be nice to be your mom, have three birthdays in a year. This continued when I became a Christian. Before I came to Eaglebrook, I worked as a youth pastor for seven years. And I remember one time at a youth pastor's conference, we were all kind of standing around, and one of the youth pastors says, how's your youth group going? Well, that's pastor talk for how big is your youth group. And so the first guy said, well, about 100 kids attend ours. And then the next guy spoke up and he said, you know, we have about 150 kids who attend our church. And then they looked at me. I was leading a youth ministry that had 15 kids at the time. But I heard this voice in my head that said, tell them you have 50. You might have 50 if everybody showed up and brought a friend for once. <laughs> at least tell them you got 25. 25 sounds so much better than 15. 
But then I heard this other voice in my head. And it said, what are you doing? Are you willing to trade your integrity for 10 extra kids? So I told them we had 200 kids. <laughs> go big or go home, right? Even recently, I was around the lunch table at our offices at Eagle Brook, and Alex Grauman, our high school pastor, was telling a story, and he turned to everyone, and he said, how many of you grew up poor? And everybody starts nodding their head, oh, yeah, did we ever grow up poor? But Alex kept looking straight at me, like, huh, huh, huh? And I wanted to connect with him. I wanted to swap stories about how we ate uncooked ramen noodles because the gas and electric was shut off, but I didn't grow up poor. I grew up in a pretty middle-class kind of of family. But he kept staring at me, and so finally I gave like the slightest head nod, like, yep, super poor, bro, super poor. <laughs> but Joelle Hassler, our middle school pastor, she noticed this, and she said, you didn't grow up poor. You went to high school at Wyzetta. And I was like, I know. I just wanted to fit in at the lunch table. That's where most lies happen, by the way, at the lunch table and at the dentist office. Everybody lies at the dentist when they ask you how often you floss. <laughs> I am absolutely convinced of that. But here's, here's the irony to my lies. I hate lying. It's one of my main rules with my kids. You can make mistakes, you can do things wrong, but don't lie about it. Just be honest about it. If I find out that someone that I know well has been lying, I have a hard time with that. I can overlook competency issues at work or whatever, but character is different. That raises an interesting question. If a moral screw-up like me hates lies, how do you think a holy God feels about them? Think about that. God has never told a lie in his entire existence. He has only ever told the truth. He's never fudged. He's never told a white lie. He's never even exaggerated. Imagine then the dissonance that is caused with God by our lying. Actually, you don't have to imagine how God feels about lying. The Bible tells us, Proverbs chapter 12, says the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Detests. That's a strong word. Another translation says they are an abomination to the Lord. Now, you may be thinking, well, why does God care if I'm lying? I'm not lying to him. I'm lying to someone else. But look again what Peter says to Ananias after he catches him in this lie. You'd expect that Peter would say, Ananias, how could you lie to me like that? How could you lie to the church like that? But look at what he says instead. He says this, how could you do a thing like this, Ananias? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Every lie that you tell, every lie that I tell, isn't just a lie to another person. It's a lie to God. In other words, every lie that you tell is more vertical than it is horizontal. Proverbs 19 says this, says a false witness will not go unpunished and he who breathes out lies will perish. God may not strike you dead on the spot like he did Ananias, but we all face a judgment day. And notice that he says, and he who breathes out lies. Do you breathe out lies? It's become so habitual for you that they just kind of flow out of you without you even thinking about it. Some people, they exaggerate, they fudge, they shade the truth, they conceal the truth, and it's just become a habit. It's like breathing. They don't even really think about it anymore. 
Years ago, I heard a pastor use a phrase that I love, verbal precision. Verbal precision. He said, I'm not going to tell people that I was sitting on the tarmac for two hours when it was really only an hour and 20 minutes. I'm not going to tell people that I'm headed to a lunch meeting when I'm really going home for lunch instead. I'm not going to say that there was 100 people there when there was really only 65. I am committed to verbal precision. What if we all today became committed to verbal precision? No fudging, no exaggerating, but we became committed to telling the truth every single time because we believe what Proverbs 12 says, truth stands the test of time. Lies are soon exposed. Friends, commit yourself to verbal precision because every lie you tell is more vertical than it is horizontal. Second takeaway from this story is this. Who you are when no one is looking reveals your character. Who you are when no one's looking reveals your character. Ananias and Sapphira, they made up this story because they cared what other people thought about them. They were concerned about appearances. That backfired big time. Because who you are when no one is looking is what determines your character. At our house, when one of my kids, when a commercial comes on that's really raunchy or violent, my kids will go like this, don't look. We had lots of moments like that during the Super Bowl this past year. But then my kids all went to bed. And my wife, Sarah, went into the bathroom to get ready for bed. And I went out to watch the end of the game by myself. There was, the first commercial was a Victoria's Secret ad. It was an airbrush model wearing only a bra in a provocative kind of pose. No kids there to say, Dad, don't look. No wife there to say, I can't believe they allow commercials like this on TV today. Just me. No one would know if I watched the rest of the commercial or not. I chose not to watch. Because who you are when no one is looking is going to determine your character. Let me ask you, who are you when no one is looking? Are you the same person then as you are when there are other people around? What if there's nobody there to praise you for your good deed? Would you still do it? What if there was no one at the party who would be disappointed by your sin? Would you still resist it? What about when there's no one else there and there's no chance of you getting caught? How about then? Your character is determined by who you are when no one is looking. Third takeaway from this Ananias story is this. Every church should have a no perfect people allowed sign on the front door. Ever feel like you need to be perfect? Ever feel like you need to be the perfect parent whose kids never have a meltdown in the aisle of Target, who never miss a shot or a spelling word, and most importantly, who never make you look bad as a parent? Ever feel like you have to have the perfect marriage, never fight about anything at all, be the perfect Christian, never sins, always cares, never swears? Such a pressure to be perfect. Apparently that same pressure existed in the first century as well. Because after Barnabas sells this field, Ananias feels like, well, if I keep any of the money for myself, then I'm not going to be as perfect as Barnabas was. Every church should have a no perfect people allowed rule. We should celebrate people who have the courage to confess their sin or to talk about their struggles 
in life. I was in a Bible study years ago, and the topic of conflict in marriage came up. And the first guy said, well, my, my wife and I, like, we never fight. We, we just have so many more important things going on than to argue about little household chores. He said, we don't want to speak harshly to each other, so we don't. He then looked at me and he said, I'll bet you and Sarah are the same way, huh? I can't tell you the pressure that I felt to lie in a Bible study. Everything in me wanted to go, oh, yeah, like, we're just like so busy serving God. I mean, we don't have time to argue about who loads up the dishwasher the right way. I mean, yeah. But then I just had this thought from God. And I said, you know, actually, we're both pretty verbal. And we have strong opinions. We tend to share those. And that can lead to conflict at times. I said, I wish I could tell you that we never fight about loading up the dishwasher. But Sarah doesn't load it up the right way. <laughs> and so what do you want me to do about that? The next guy spoke up, tearing up as he did. And he said, my wife and I have been fighting a lot lately. Like, a lot, a lot. And then the next guy spoke up, and he was even more emotional. And he said, you know, my wife and I haven't really been fighting lately, but we're just like roommates. We have no intimacy with one another whatsoever. And so we prayed for each other, and you could tell that God moved in that moment, but later I thought, what if? What if I had said, oh, yeah, we've got like the perfect marriage. We never fight about anything. Do you think the third guy would have felt as comfortable as he did to talk about how he and his wife had been fighting a lot? Maybe. Sadly, that's not usually the case, is it? 1 John 1.8 says this, If we say we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. Let's not fool ourselves. People fight in marriage at times. People speak too harshly to their kids when they don't want to. We all lose our tempers. We all get irritable and tired. We all get jealous, prideful, and selfish. We all sin. Let's not pretend like we don't. We all have struggles in life. Let's not pretend like we don't. I was talking to a woman a while back, and she was telling me about this event at her church. It wasn't Eagle Brook. And they were having a mixer, which was just her total nightmare because she was an introvert. And so she had to go up and introduce herself to someone that she didn't know. And so she saw this woman who had been helping lead worship on the worship team. And so she went up and introduced herself, and this worship leader said, uh, well, do you like music? And this woman I was talking to said, hmm, I can't carry a tune to save my life. And she said, well, do you have kids? And this woman that I was talking to said, no, no, no kids. And they could both feel this was going nowhere pretty quickly. And so as a last-ditch effort, the worship leader said, are you married? Well, this woman that I was talking to, she was married. But her husband was incarcerated at the time. But do you tell that to one of the worship leaders at your church? She decided to take a risk. She said, yeah, I'm married, but my husband is incarcerated right now. Silence. This worship leader stared at her for what must have been 20 or 30 seconds. Finally, she said, my husband is incarcerated right now as well. She said, I've never told anyone at church because I was afraid of what they would think. 
These two women have gone on to become good friends. They are now leading a Bible study for women who are in a similar situation. No perfect people allowed. Maybe you're here today and there's something in your life. A struggle in your life that you think to yourself, I don't want to tell anyone about that. I don't want to tell anyone what's going on in my marriage, with my kids, in my own just personal life. Because they wouldn't accept me, they wouldn't love me. You need to hear, we are a church where no perfect people are allowed. You need to find a friend this week, a pastor, your small group, and you need to say, hey, I need to talk about this struggle. Would you pray for me and support me through this? There are others of us who have been covering up and hiding a sin in our life. Your life is filled with lust, greed, anger, selfishness. And up until this point, you've been kind of unrepentant about it. You think you can just kind of fake it and then make it. But you need to understand that doesn't work with God. Look at what it says in Proverbs 28. It says this, People who cover over their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and forsake them, they will find mercy. Confess your sin. Forsake your sin. You will find mercy. That is a promise from God. Pray for courage this week and then do it. Because every lie that you tell is more vertical than horizontal. Your character is determined by who you are when no one is looking. And we are a church filled with imperfect people like you and like me. Let's all stand together and pray at our campuses. God, I pray for that person here who is struggling in their marriage with one of their kids, emotionally, and fears, God, that what will people think? God, I pray for courage. I pray for strength. I pray that as they find people in their life who can pray for, for them this week and support them this week, that they would just experience the love of Christ through other people, the grace of Christ through other people. God, for those of us who are hiding and covering up a sin in our life, I pray for conviction. Not another day, God, goes by when we keep hiding that and keeping that a secret. God, I pray for courage. I pray for power from your spirit. I pray for a deep sense of just knowing that when we cover and hide our sin, we will not prosper in life, but we will receive mercy if we do confess. God, would you help them confess and find freedom this week? And God, we thank you that you are a God who knows everything about us, who sees everything we do and don't do, and yet you love us, God. You pursue us. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we could not live so that one day we may stand before him in eternal life and in perfection. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, right now. We pray it all in his name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.